When Billy and I had been married about six years, Garrett had already been born. I think he was two. Lauren wasn't going to show up for another year. I was a youth pastor in Denver. Our youth ministry was going great. I was putting a lot of time into it. And um, I remember this one particular day. It was either Tuesday or Thursday. And I know that because it was a volleyball game. And volleyball games were on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'd gone to work, left work, grabbed Taco Bell or whatever, and then went to a local high school to watch students from our youth ministry hit a volleyball game and talk with their parents and build a relationship with the family and all that kind of stuff because of our church's emphasis on spiritual development for the whole family. I got home really late and I had not called my wife to let her know where I was going to be, which added an extra layer of frustration to her already disappointing day. And I got home ready to see my wife and expecting to be welcomed at the door with arms around my neck and and food ready on the kitchen, right? Uh, it didn't go that way. <laughs> I remember walking in and, and um, it, man, it was right, right, right away, man. It was just, it was, we're not screamers. We're not yellers. So that's, that's a good thing. She wasn't raised in a home full of screamers. I, I wasn't either. So that's never been part of our experience, even when our relationship isn't good. But we can, we can fight. We can argue. And, and we've even said hurtful things. And uh, Billy Jane was saving this, this, last, this last right hook and uh, in this argument. She was building up to it. And then she finally gets to this place where she says, if you put as much thought into our marriage as you put into your stupid youth ministry, we wouldn't be here right now. And I remember the righteous indignation I felt that here I am serving God, right? Like I was justified in my mind for all of my selfishness and lack of attention and compassion towards her as, as a new mother. <laughs> yeah, I didn't win that argument. I, I just, I remember, um, I remember how hurt I was. I think I was more hurt that she called it stupid and called it my youth ministry and didn't refer to it as our youth ministry, then I was offended at the way that I had been neglecting her as a person. And I went for a walk and I go to this place in my neighborhood. There's a hill that overlooked the city of Boston. Excuse me, this is when we lived in Denver. It overlooked the city of Denver. And um, kind of like what Blue Hills does. And I'd go up there sometimes and I would pray when I just needed to be alone with God. And on my way there, I was praying that God would fix her. See, she's this, she's this, she's this. And I get up at the top of that hill overlooking the city of Denver and over the course of praying, I think I was there for about an hour. Um, God gave me some clarity. And what I remember, I feel like God was speaking to me about was the idea that he could get anybody to come be the youth pastor at that church, but there was only one somebody that he intended to be her husband and Garrett's father. And that that was the two jobs that were the priority. And um, I remember also thinking that if I keep going down this direction, I'm going to lose her. And Garrett would grow up and call another man dad, right? Like that's, I don't know if that's being dramatic or not. I just remember on top of that hill, this wave of anxiety that came as a result of the guilt, the shame, the remorse the regret I felt over this new information that Billie Jean had given me, that she was miserable in this relationship with me and, and things needed to change. Like it was, 
Like I thought everything was great because everything revolved around me. Uh, and then I get new information that this isn't, this isn't a healthy way of living. And that information was a hinge on which I knew that the door of my life had to change and things needed to be different from now on. I'm not the only one who's had a moment like that. You probably had some type of a moment. Maybe it was a moment of clarity or maybe it was a moment, I don't know, where you, where you just heard, I don't know, you heard something that you weren't expecting. You received information. Maybe it was something like you found out that your girlfriend was pregnant or that you were pregnant or God forbid there was a miscarriage or that a loved one had been in a car accident or that your position was being terminated at work and you were being laid off or you were served with papers uh, and these are heavy. But that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of information that that changes the direction of your life. Like you're going this way and you hear something and it's so distressing and life-altering. You know that forever it's going to be completely different. You don't know how it's going to be different. And there's but the uncertainty, the confusion, the, uh, the angst that builds up in your heart can be overwhelming. The Christmas story starts off with that. I don't know if you've looked at it that way, but that's exactly what happens in Luke chapter one. If you've got your Bible, I want you to start reading verse 26 where it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's, Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, and Mary was Elizabeth's cousin. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. And the angel tells her that she's going to be pregnant. And she's engaged to a man. And she's never been with a man. And she lives in a culture where there were serious consequences for being sexually active outside of marriage. In fact, the punishment for that was, was death. For both the girl and the guy, if they found out who the guy was. So this is serious, man. It's it's unbelievably traumatic. Like I where it says she was, how does it put it? It says she was confused and disturbed. And I think that that might be the most understated declaration in the entire Bible. <laughs> confused and disturbed. Yeah. You think? Confused and disturbed. <laughs> You're going to be pregnant. The Holy Spirit is going to place life inside you like the Holy Spirit, like God breathed life into Adam in the garden. God's going to put life into you. Confused and disturbed, she wondered what all of this could mean. Last week, we looked at the continued faithfulness of God and said that in every circumstance, we have a hope, not optimism that our, cons our, our, our situations would change, but hope. Uh, because we trust the God who is sovereign over our circumstances. And because we know that he is good, we have hope. Hope is the confidence that what I'm going through will work out for God's glory and my good. And today, we're going to see that hope gives birth to peace. And peace is a person. There's three things I want you to know about peace in today's teaching. And the first is that peace is a person. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And some of you guys might be in a season where you are disoriented. Uh, things are not going well. Last week, maybe the teaching was even encouraging to you because you know that when you're uncertain about your circumstances, you know you can be certain that God is good and sovereign over your circumstances, even if it feels like the circumstances are bad. bad, And... Um, and the outcome is uncertain, right? And so you're like, yeah, I think, and then maybe what you even experienced as a result of last weekend's teaching, because I did talk to one person after the teaching, and it, and it had, man, I mean, there was, they were able to find hope in their relationship with God, and the natural byproduct of that hope was peace. And in Philippians, Paul says, this peace that comes from God is able to go beyond your ability to explain it. And this guy that I talked to last weekend had experienced that. Like he found that peace which surpasses or exceeds anything that we can understand. Then it's this next verse, next part of the verse that says this. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So peace is the natural byproduct of living in Christ. We've talked about this before, but it's it's been a few months. Anytime in the Bible where it says that we live in Christ, there's a there's some imagery here for us that I think helps us to wrap our head around this concept, this biblical concept of being in Christ. If you and I are born as souls living in these bodies, we live our lives. Man, we can be selfish jerks sometimes, like I was in my marriage or like you were, name the time. And we live our lives adding dirt to these robes. And if God is good, when we sin against him and against others, those sins need to be accounted for. So if he's good and if he's holy and if he's a good judge, if he's a righteous judge, then he can't let bad people off the hook. So what's God to do with all of these people in this world that he loves who are caked and the bad things that they've done. In the first covenant, the Old Testament, he said, if you guys can, we'll try this out. If you guys can live without adding any more mud to your robes, we'll be good. But nobody can do that. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that knowing the rules doesn't make it any easier not to break them. He said, it actually brings up in my heart the desire to break them. It's like when somebody says, hey, don't look over there. The first thing you want to do now is to look over there because they just told you not to do it. And that's, Paul says that's the same thing that happens with sin in our hearts is when we're, we're, when we find out the things that we're not supposed to do, all of a sudden those things become incredibly attractive. So then God makes a new covenant with us based not on our ability to be good, but on his ability to be good for us. So he shows up in the human story as Jesus. Um, we're going to get to the verse where it talks about that in a few minutes. But but he lives his whole life without getting any dirt on his robe. And at the cross, what Jesus does is he voluntarily takes our punishment for the dirt on our robe so that we could take the benefits and rewards that come with never having broken any of those laws when we take his robe. So we exchange we give Jesus our lives, and then he gives us his life, and then we take his sinless, 
righteous, spotless, clean robe that he lived in without ever adding any dirt. And I get to put on this righteousness and I get to stand before God in Christ. So what Paul's talking about, those of us who live in Christ, because we are now confident in the hope that we have that we are seen by God through Christ's righteousness, now our hearts and our minds are guarded with the peace that comes with the confident hope that God is for us. That's what he says. And because Jesus is peace, which is the absence of internal conflict, the calm presence of heart and mind, we get to find peace in him. As discussed last week, Israel was in a really dark place before Jesus shows up. That dark period of time is referenced a few hundred years earlier by one of Israel's most prophet, famous prophets. His name was Isaiah. And he's talking about a future date describing the dark times that the Jews would be in when the Messiah would show up. And here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walk in darkness, and that's, he's describing the Jews who are now walking in, in darkness, and we talked all about that last week. We'll see a great light, he says. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you, God, will break the yoke of their slavery and will lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us during that season. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he, this child, this baby boy, will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Isaiah gives the Jews hope when he predicts that when that time of darkness comes, God would provide a prince of peace. But the prince of peace, the mighty God, would come as a baby boy, and so he did. And today, we're still celebrating when the mighty God became a child, became the son who was given to us, who would be called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, and the everlasting father. Maybe you're in a similar place that they were in, and while you're not a slave to the Roman Empire, Maybe you have no peace because you feel enslaved to guilt over something that you've done or shame over a season in your life that you'd rather not anybody ever find out. Or maybe you feel enslaved to fear or regret. Or you have no peace because your identity is connected to your performance. Maybe it's the approval of others or the accumulation of wealth. And then as you find these things, you come to the realization that somehow they don't measure up to what you're expecting and didn't do for you on the inside what you thought they would do. And the truth is you need to look outside of yourself to find what you are not capable of generating on your own. Peace. What did that verse refer to Jesus as? Do you remember? So the baby would be born, a child would, a child would be given. A child would be born, a son would be given, and his name would be called the Wonderful Counselor. There's a famous 
It was like 120 years ago, a preacher named Charles Spurgeon. And he said of this description of Jesus as the wonderful counselor, he said, it was by a counselor that this world was ruined. Did not Satan mask himself and the serpent and counsel the woman with exceeding craftiness that she should take to herself the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and uh, hope that there that thereby she should be as God? Was it not that evil counsel which provoked our mother, our original mother Eve, to rebel against her maker? And they did not, as the effect of sin, or did they not bring death into this world with all of its true woe, he says. Believe it, it was fitting that the world should have a counselor to restore it if it had a counselor uh, to destroy it. So since by bad counsel we turned our hearts away from God, it would make sense that by good counsel, we would turn back to him. Satan is the wicked counselor uh, who brought pain and Jesus brings peace. Satan brings death, Jesus brings life. The Bible says that Satan comes to steal and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life more abundant, the wonderful counselor. He's also the mighty God. When you feel weak, he is strong. When you are falling apart, he holds you together. Why? Because he is, he's mighty. When you're weary and tired, he offers you rest and gives you strength. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead that spoke creation into existence can give you peace in the middle of your chaos right now because he is a mighty God. God is bigger than what threatens to rob you of your peace. He is the everlasting father. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5 says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus is not going anywhere, and He specializes in bringing light into dark places, helping people who cannot see a way forward to discover their next steps. Uh, he brings peace into conflicted hearts. His light is for everyone, it says, and darkness will never push it out. And he's the Prince of Peace. There's a famous German theologian and pastor who was actually executed by the Nazis. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was known as a man of peace, and when somebody asked him how he was able to maintain this sense of self-centeredness and peaceful countenance in the middle of his imprisonment and future ex execution, he said, there is no way to peace along the way of safety, for peace must be dared. It is a great adventure. It can never be made safe. Peace is the opposite of security. It is to give oneself altogether to the law of God. Battles are won, not with weapons, but with God. Uh, they are won where the heart leads to the cross. Peace is the thing that you discover in the middle of difficult times. When you have surrendered everything you are to the goodness of God and his future plans for your life. It's in the same way that war with the Nazis was the only path toward peace in Europe. Jesus' death for our sins is the only means by which we have peace with God. 
Our sins, according to the scriptures, put us at odds with God and make us enemies. And God initiates reconciliation by means of his sacrifice and substitute payment for our sins through Jesus. And today, you really do have the opportunity to be reconciled to God and receive Jesus as the peace between you and your creator. I believe that there are some of us that are of the opinion, maybe because of the religions that we grew up in, that God hates you because of the things that you've done. There's all kinds of scriptures that says there's nothing that separates us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing above, nothing below, nothing alive, nothing dead, nothing in the past, nothing in the present, nothing in the future. It gives a few other little poetic rhythms like that, nothing above and below and behind and in front and living or dead, it, it does that. It says nothing, I'm convinced that nothing separates us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is our reconciliation and peace with God. But without Jesus, we have no we have no peace with God because we sit at odds with him. So the first of three things, and the other two go by a lot quicker than that one, but the first thing is that peace is a person. It's Jesus. He's the one you need. You won't find peace in here. Man, this is, this is, you've experienced this. This is, this is complex, complicated, and broken, but he isn't. He's the one that brings light to darkness. That's what he does. That's what he specializes in. And the darkness can't overcome it. Second thing is that peace is a gift. John 14, 27. Uh, I am leaving you with a gift, Jesus said, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give as a gift, the world is not capable of giving. So don't be troubled or afraid. This gift is the product of the hope that we have in a God who loves forgives, restores, makes new, heals, blesses, rescues, redeems, builds up, sends out, and calls us home. We have peace as the product of the hope that we have because he is the God who is right now working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes for them. He's the God who blesses those who work for the same thing to happen in the lives of other people. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, he says, God blesses those who work for peace for they will be called the children of God. In all of the descriptions, God blesses those who, God blesses those who, God blesses those who. It's the peacemakers that he says, it's called the Beatitudes. You may have heard them before, you could Google it later on. But it's only those who work for peace that are called the children of God. Why are they called the children of God? Because they are doing what Jesus did. Like they are actively, it's proactive, not reactive. Like we, we notice when people are conflicted and we move into action to do something about it. We're peacemakers. Um, this past week, I was playing basketball with a group of guys and the same group of guys a week before had a guy, uh, we think had a heart attack in the middle of the game. And this past week, one of the guys who was there walked up to me and said, I saw what you did when he went down on the court. And I didn't think anybody knew because the guy who has the heart attack, I don't think, shares our faith. But I know the number one thing he needs is reconciliation with God. And so I knelt next to him with all of the paramedics and put my hand on his leg and just prayed that God would would heal him, would, 
would give him more time to be reconciled to God. And this guy saw what I was doing, and because, I don't know, maybe because he knew I was a pastor, I don't know. But he saw me, he was on my team too, so I mean, like, I was supposed to be there. It's not like he's a stranger and I walk up and put my hand on his leg and whatever. Like, our whole team was around him. I just knelt down and put my hand on his leg. And this other guy saw me doing that and came up to me this past week and said, I saw you praying over him. And I got nervous because I didn't know what was going to come next. And he said, I just wanted you to know that I, I respect that. And I think that that was cool that you did that. I think that's the mark. Well, that's not I think. It's what Jesus said would be the mark of those who'd be called the children of God. Is that they really do care about helping other people reconcile to God. Find peace. Discover the hope that we have when we turn from our sin and selfishness and begin to follow Jesus, having accepted his death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that pays off our debt before a holy and righteous God. When we submit ourselves to the authority of God and his word, we call on Jesus to forgive us and save us. When we give our lives to God, we accept that he gave his life for us. The Bible calls us co-heirs with Christ. The Bible says that God places his Holy Spirit in us. We're going to get to that in a few minutes, so I don't want to get ahead. And it's because of that, we have we have a different kind of hope. Like, we don't just have to wish that our circumstances get better. We have the confidence that even if they don't, something better comes because of it. And that's where the peace comes from. And we want everybody to experience that. So Jesus says that those who work for that will be called the children of God. Uh, And that brings me to the third thing. So one is peace is a person, it's Jesus. Peace is a gift that God gives us to be given to others. And I would say, oh, this is cool, I should have put this in my notes. Peace is the gift that we give, and then once given, we don't have any less of it. Like if I... If I get a shovel and you ask to borrow a shovel, now I don't have a shovel. But if I have peace and you ask for peace and I point you to God or share with you a little bit of the peace that comes from the hope that I have in me, I actually don't have any less hope than I did before. In fact, truthfully, this may actually bring me more peace as a result of giving it away. And then the third thing is that peace is a promise. We left Mary confused and distressed at the beginning of the teaching. But look how Mary responds, Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. That doesn't sound distressed and confused to me at all, right? Now, there's verses in there that I skipped, but that's where she gets to. She gets to this place where she says, may everything you say happen as you said it would happen because I am the Lord's servant. So what happens between confused and distressed, like what the heck is happening here? My life is over. What does this mean to, I'm down for all of this. What happens? Uh, And and it was that she had heard a promise. Here's the promise, Luke chapter one, verse 35 to 37. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he's explaining what's gonna happen. 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. She knows who this is because she had read Isaiah chapter 9. This is the child that would be born unto us, the son who would be given, who would be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Um, What's more, the angel says, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. Verse 37, for the word of God will never fail. That was the promise. The promise is that God will never fail. What did that do? It gave her hope that all of this would work out better. Like even if it had to be hard or difficult, uncomfortable, unsettling, stressful, anxious-inducing, what she had to remind herself, all she had to remind herself, was that God's word would never fail. And the hope that God is good even when life is not, that even if my circumstances don't get better, something better happens because it didn't, that hope comes with peace. And that's what she found. The Holy Spirit reminds us, is what he does, of the goodness and the reliability of God. John chapter 14 says, uh, verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate and and this advocate will never leave you. This is the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us that. He's the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him. The world does not receive the Holy Spirit uh, because they're not looking for him. And they wouldn't recognize him if they saw him. But you know him because he lives in you now and later will be in you. A few verses later, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit reminds us of all of the things that God has promised and the things that God has done. Why? So that no matter how difficult it becomes, we can find our center in hope and as a result, his peace, which passes or exceeds all understanding, begins to guard our hearts and minds because we now live in Christ Jesus. There are other verses that remind us that the Holy Spirit will never leave us, just like this one. And it's the continued presence of God in my life that gives me hope and settles in as peace. And this peace pushes out fear, anxiety, distress, and darkness in my own heart. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 30 says this. And we know that God causes, this is the, man, I I don't know, this might be one of the top five passages of scripture I quote as a preacher here at Grace. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those. That doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. It just means that everything that happens will work for good. That's why I mean that without God, I'm just trying to make my circumstances better, just trying to make my circumstances better. And and they get better only to the degree that I'm able to manipulate and control all of the things that happen to me, which is never, right? But this verse says that I have a God who is sovereign, who even if my circumstances don't better, don't become better, will do something better even when they didn't because he loves me and because he's called me according to his purpose. The next verse, verse 29 says, for God knew his people in advance, And the people that he knew in advance, 
he chose to become like his son so that his son would be like the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he calls them to come to him. And having called them, he gives them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing with himself, he gives them his glory. What then shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Ready for this next verse? Underline it in your Bible. Because if God is for me, who can be against me? If the God who called me according to his purpose, if the God who loves me, if the God who will work through all circumstances, the good ones and the bad ones, will work through those circumstances to bring me to a place of good. If he does something better, even if it didn't get better along the way, then what the heck can you do to me that he can't use to make my life better? Like, that's the thing. If I go through bankruptcy, if I go through a car accident, I, I don't want bad things to happen to me. I don't crave them at all. All I'm saying is that those things don't have more authority in my life than the authority that I've given God in my life. Those things don't get the final say in what happens at the end of my life. God does. So I don't have to be afraid. I don't. Because he works all things together for good. For those that he loves and are called according to his purpose. And I don't know where you stand with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. What I do know is that peace doesn't reside in you. That's why it's so elusive. And that's why you don't feel it. Peace is... And Jesus, you can be protected by your money until your money is gone. You can be sheltered by your career until you lose your health. And you can be safe among your friends until they drift away. But you will never be left alone by God. And only in God will you be reconciled to your past and the internal conflict and distress that you feel can be made new. Only in Jesus. He's the only one that can do that for you. Jesus will give you peace in the middle of your chaos. Um, there was a time when my wife and I had sold everything in Denver and moved to Boston. And on our way here, everything bad was happening to us. And if you're looking for a sign on whether or not you should have done this or not, having everything go wrong is a pretty good sign that you're making a huge mistake. Our moving truck was broken down on the side of the road, and I don't know, man. It's just, with everything that happened along the way, we just started questioning everything. And I was sitting on the side of the road next to Billy Jane on the border between Ohio and Pennsylvania on our way here. And I said to her, this is 21 years ago, and I said to her, I said, I, I'm still only 70% sure we're doing the right thing. And this is the peace of God which exceeds all understanding. Billy Jane, knowing that God was good and knowing that we were living according to his calling and his purpose in our life, she looked at me and said, if we're doing the wrong thing, at least we're doing the wrong thing for the right reason, and I think God can use that. And instantly, the anxiety and distress melted away because she reminded me where my hope is, 
and God, not my ability to always make the right decisions. And peace came right behind, filling my heart and my mind. If you have the hope that God is right now for you, then you really don't have anything to fear. If God is for you, who can be against you? So maybe the better question is, if you are for God. Um, I'm going to ask you if you would to pray with me. So if you would bow your head and uh, I'll word a prayer on our behalf. God, I love you with all of my heart and I'm thankful that you brought me to a place where I would be taught about Jesus and what he'd done for me. That you convicted me of my disobedience towards you and my selfishness towards others. You led me to a place where I could accept that Jesus really did live a sinless life and offered me his immunity, his clean, spotless robe, his life. And then you gave me the opportunity to offer you my dirty life in return. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking away my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for resurrecting from the dead with new life on the third day. And I'm thankful for the way that you put new life in me also, that you made my heart like Teflon so that sin doesn't, I still sin, but it doesn't define who I am and it doesn't stick to me any longer. And I'm thankful for all of the passages of scripture that affirm to me that the Holy Spirit never leaves me, you never stop loving me, that you don't quit until I'm conformed to the image of Jesus, and that everything that happens to me, good and bad, will work together for good because you love me and because I'm living according to your purpose that you've called me to. And because of that, you are for me. Therefore, I, who can be against me? God, I pray for those who are spiritually disconnected from you. And if that's you, then your prayer is, God, take away the sin out of my heart also. Make that your prayer. Jesus, forgive me and save me from my disobedience towards you and my selfishness towards others. Jesus, I accept that what you did is the only thing that takes away my sin, and I'm asking you to take away my sin and make my heart new and clean. I'm giving you my life because you gave me your life. I want to put on that robe. I, I want to believe that you love me no matter what and that nothing will separate me from your love. And I, I accept that and I receive that. I, got, I need that. And God, I'm asking you to work all things together for good because I do know that you love me and I am willing to live according to your purpose. So whether you change my circumstance for the better or not, do something better on the other side of my circumstances. That's my prayer. So that I can also say that you are for me. What can man do against me? What can anything happen to me that I have to fear? God, in the middle of our anxiety, in the middle of our distress, in the middle of our fear, I pray, God, that we would be reminded that our hope is not in our circumstances, it's in you. And you got this. And as a result, flood our hearts with peace. Remind us that when we do not feel peace, it's because we have forgotten the hope that we have in you. And let us run back to that and then experience your peace all over again. This is our prayer, because God, we need it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.